Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Today we speak with Kelvin Crombie, an author and a fascinating man from West Australia, raised on a farm, moved to Israel, and was that close to converting to Judaism. His story is riveting. Thanks for joining me for this Bob's Your Uncle podcast, Season 3, Episode 13. Of note, the opinions are strictly my own and those of any of my guests. I hope you enjoy Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E minor. It's one of my favorites. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you. What triggers your joy? What bothers you in the world? Let us know. We'll see where the spirit leads us. Whether you're at home, online, on the road with me in your headset at the gym, or out for your evening constitutional, wherever you get your podcast, that's where we will be. Thanks for being with us these 18 minutes. of the week. On this date in history, 7th of March, in 161 CE, Marcus Aurelius became the emperor of Rome. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell received a patent for the telephone. Imagine if he could ever imagine what a mobile phone could do. And on this date in 1965, state troopers used nightsticks and tear gas to attack American civil rights activists as they crossed a bridge in Selma, Alabama during their attempted march to the state capitol in Montgomery. And that's the historical marker of the week. Today, I want you to meet Kelvin Crombie, with whom I shared some days in Melbourne this week. Let's jump right in. You won't want to miss a moment of this interview. Kelvin Crombie, you are from WA and raised on a farm where they even had pigs. But we've overlapped since the 1980s in a Jewish context. How did you move from pigs to Jewish interest? Well, Bob, there's only one way to answer this question. That's the sovereignty of God. Uh, I grew up on a wheat, sheep and pig farm. And the only thing that interested me on the farm were the pigs. It might have been because Dad and I worked on the pigs together. There might have been some other reason. Perhaps Almighty God has a sense of humor. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) But as a young boy, I got interested in Israel and the Jewish people because I was very interested in why Australian soldiers served as soldiers in the Middle East, including my own family members. An uncle died at Tobruk. There was a neighbor who was in the 10th Light Horse in the First World War. An Israeli family came to live in a farm. We were very remote, okay? The other Israeli family came to live in a farm for two years. Uh, Their kids went to school with me. 
Six-Day War came along and um, the interest in Israel just continued to grow. I was reading a, an encyclopedia called Pernell's History of the Second World War from the age of 10. There was one whole section on the Holocaust. And as a young kid, I was intrigued by who are these people and why are they being persecuted? So by the age of 12, many things that already happened, that's basically, you could say, laid a foundation, created my world view, which even though when I got into teenager years, girls, sport, booze, those things took over, yet that worldview was still there. And then I went through high school. I was you know, fairly good at sport as a, as a teenager, but not as, a, as an adult. I couldn't quite make it as an adult, but my, I, my identity was associated around those other three things, particularly sport. And so I began to realize by about 19, um, you know, I was about 19 years of age that you know, sport's just not making the grade here. And right at that juncture was the Entebbe raid, okay? in 1976 and it was on the news it was in the newspapers and suddenly Israel just came back to me big time and then I began to realize well listen there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing right now in WA in WA it wasn't giving me any satisfaction but there must be an answer out there and that answer will be found in Israel and you went to Israel mm -hmm. from Western Australia mm -hmm. well and I went did any to of Europe? your friends no I went by myself that is radical mm -hmm. and brave uh, to, to pick up your life and move to his... Were you moving there forever or just for a lark? Well, I went to Europe first. The reason I... And I did everything in Europe that I could do in a year with the amount of money I had or didn't have um, because I knew that I had to live life to the fullest before I got to Israel because I knew deep down that I would find whatever it was in life I was looking for. I knew the truth was there. But I didn't know what the truth was. I just knew it was in Israel. But one thing I can tell you, it had nothing to do with religion. I no. wasn't searching for anything religious. You weren't raised religious? No, not at all. Were you anti-religious or just none of the above? Uh, I would say I was probably a bit more anti-religious as well, yes. Hmm. Um, but you met your wife in Israel. You didn't get married there, though, did you? Yeah. You did. Hmm. And was she from Israel? No, my wife was from Dutch, uh, Dutch background, but she came in a bit later. I got there in 79 as a non-Christian. I went to a kibbutz called Mayan Baruch in the very, very north of Israel. And I was, got so involved in, in life there, I just wanted to, um, to become an Israeli. I had to leave and I came back again later. And when I came back the second time at the end of 1980, I was determined to find that answer, whatever it was. And so I really wanted to go in the army, the Israeli army. And so I was told by some of the Israelis, well, listen, Kelvin, no, it's, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Go and convert. So I began the process of conversion to Judaism. Not officially. I was still, you know, on the peripheral. There was a guy that was converting at the time, Andy. And he uh, loaned me his books. He told me the interviews he'd had with the rabbis. And so I was interested and until one time he came back and told me of an interview he, he had just had. And that's when I realized, hey, listen, this is about religion. And I was never interested in religion. Wait I mean, a minute. You, might think you, you had to know that Israel was about religion. No. For me, it was secular. I was on a secular kibbutz. Yeah. I wanted to go into the army. And I'd only thought about the kibbun. The way of getting there was, was through converting. And then when t this guy began to explain to me about what was involved, and I actually read through the book. I started to read through the book he actually had to read through. And then I could actually... I realized it was all about religion, and that's when I stopped the process. But as a result of stopping that process, which was my matara, my goal, I had nothing, I had no plan B. 
And so I just fell into a massive big hole. And I remember on the kibbutz, there was a couple of guys, one of whom was um, uh, an Tebe um, commander himself, actually, Yuval. And they used to say to me, because I was doing some plumbing or working in the refit in the, in the um, cow shed, and they used to say to me, they said, Kelvin, you used to be the life of the party, which I had been. They said, why are you so sad? And yeah, I was. I was terribly sad because I had no plan B. I had no hope. And right at that juncture, when I was at the bottom, uh, a Christian girl came to the kibbutz from Southern California. There'd been a group in 79 my first time, and they'd, they'd witnessed a bit, and I said, not interested. The second time round, uh, this girl began to witness to me, and I just told her point blank, I'm not interested. I didn't come to Israel to hear about Jesus. I'm just not interested. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, I went with her and some others down to Jerusalem for Easter of 81. Now, Easter and Passover in 1981 fell on the same weekend. Now, I was not interested. I found my letters to my mother recently. That's why I wrote that little book, Bush Boys in Jerusalem. And so I went through some of those letters, and I was sort of outsidely interested, but not that interested, until the Garden Tomb, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, and um, the minister that that particular occasion... Minister, so they had a church service? Every Easter Sunday... At the Garden Tomb Garden in tomb. Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Just outside the Damascus that's, Gate. That's correct. So it's a big... The English service was the first one, and it's a big service. It's chockers, okay? It's full. And uh, the minister that was there that day, who was a minister, an Anglican minister from a place called Christchurch, Jerusalem. I didn't know that. All I could see was a guy with a dog collar. But he spoke about Jesus being a Jew, Jesus being the Passover lamb, and the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel would precede the return of Jesus. Now, until that point, I'd always said it's an either-or. Either the Christians are right, the Jews are wrong, or vice versa. But he was actually putting the two together. So that was my epiphany. After that epiphany, and that was in April 1981, there was, there was no way back, basically. Hmm. I tried. I tried my hardest, I can tell you, Bob, to run away from that epiphany. But the Lord just wouldn't allow me. So three months later, I was in London, and it just finally caught up with me, and I uh, submitted my life to the Lord, repented, and I had a miraculous born-again experience. Uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I actually felt the Holy Spirit coming into my life. I just tingled all over. And uh, I had a miraculous born-again experience, and, and that was you, it. Do you think that that moment in London and that moment at the Garden Tomb are so significant that now Four decades later, it's still fresh? Oh, fresh as. Fresh as a daisy, mate. Fresh as a it. daisy. I get it. Now, you've lived both in Israel and in Western Australia for now back here for a number of years. Do you have a favorite location on the planet? Oh, oh Jerusalem would have to still be my favorite location. And I used to do a lot of walking, uh, whether it's from my little bit of Aboriginal background or whether it's the fact I grew up on a farm, I don't know. But I used to walk everywhere. So I walked the streets of Jerusalem for years and years and years, imbibed it, took in the air. With my kids, I used to take my kids out with me all the time when I, because I have four daughters, they were all born in Jerusalem. Um, yeah, yeah, you can't get Jerusalem out of your, um, out of your bloodstream. It's, for me, I can't anyway. So that would still be my favorite location. Now, you're a prolific author. You've mentioned a book already and one you've just now published. Uh, you, you just keep producing them and you write on Jewish topics particularly you aren't Jewish you've even spoken in Jewish arenas all over the traps what keeps your interest in topics Jewish the Holy Spirit because he often will give me 
a subject matter or somebody might say something and I, it'll witness to me that it's the right thing and sometimes Bob there's a, a topic will come along that at the time I can't understand the significance but when I get into it and then it's done then the timing is just right it makes sense it makes sense I'll give you one example um, I uh, once read a book on El Alamein called El Alamein Halting and Impending Holocaust in the Middle East right so that took me quite a few years of research and it was all to do with the fact that the, the Nazis actually had a specialised murder squad called the Einsatzkommando Egypt. They had it ready. They sent some of the people in already to be, to be able to follow Rommel's forces in after they won at El Alamein. And then once they won at El Alamein, they would begin to the murder the 700,000 Jewish people in the land of Israel. Now, when I began to work on that, I didn't really have in focus the fact that coming up with a major anniversary event, which in... Um, uh, so 2012, it was a major anniversary event. And so um, as a result, it came out, you might say, at the right time. Now, at that right time also meant that um, um, Alan, um, Montgomery's son, David, it was then Lord David Montgomery, um, I'd met him some years before uh, in another context. And so suddenly there was the opportunity of actually getting him to host an event in the House of Lords, which we did. Next thing I know, I'm actually doing a presentation on El Alamein uh, in the House of Lords. Now, I didn't set out with that idea a couple of years before. The Holy Spirit just prompted me to begin doing the, the research, and that particular publication came out at that time, and there were some other things which happened as a result of it. Now, I could go over on numerous occasions uh, where such things have, uh, have happened. Christians use this idea of the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, Jews use beshert, uh, Hindis use the term kismet, uh, meant to be, serendipity. Uh, but it's more than that. It's more than just the coincidence of random facts. It really is God who led you in that way. Now, you've just written a new book on the seven phases of the Holocaust. I've never heard that term before. In fact, this whole idea of the seven phases of the Holocaust is such a rich topic uh, we're going to stop this interview right here and we'll play part two of two next week on the podcast. I, I really appreciate Kelvin's forthright honesty, his uh, humble West Australian sounds and, and uh, rhythm of life. He lived in Israel. He championed, God championed himself uh, to Kelvin. He got married there. He's got daughters that were born there. He's got a wonderful history, and he and he, I agree, he's got a great future. Um, I think you'll really enjoy the next episode as we look a lot at the Holocaust and some radical ideas that Kelvin has about Jewish people who believed in Yeshua during the Holocaust and about what the, when the final solution was actually dispensed. It wasn't as early as some of us have thought. Anyway, you're going to really enjoy that next episode.
Every week we read from the number one bestseller of all time. And again today is no exception. From Psalm 143 verse 10, the Bible says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. What do you think about all this? Write me on bobmendo at aol.com or comment or even video to me on Instagram or Twitter at Bob's Your Uncle PC. I'd love to know what you think about all this. Don't forget to follow your uh, this podcast on your app. Thanks. Next week, we'll be sharing again with Kelvin, and you'll want to include your mates in listening to that one. Tuesday, the 14th of March, wherever you get podcasts. Part two of two. Until then, from me, Bob Mendelssohn, when things seem bleak or uncertain, look up to God. He's in his heaven. And Bob's your uncle. Shalom from Sydney.